listening to the CIPD podcast series. In our last programme, we looked at the HR challenges associated with globalisation. However, as we'll hear in this programme, there are many more factors driving significant changes in the ways HR organises itself to deliver objectives for the organisation. Our latest CIPD research report, The Changing HR Function, looked at these drivers for change, the structural outcomes and the way the roles and career paths of HR professionals are changing as a result. In this podcast, we'll be hearing from a number of HR directors who've delivered big changes in their organisation's HR function. But first, we spoke to CIPD Organisation and Resourcing Advisor Vanessa Robinson. She led the CIPD research and we asked her to set the scene. Recent research at the CIPD looking at the way HR functions are changing has actually highlighted that um, over 50% have reorganised in the last year and something like 80% of um, organisations have gone through some sort of change restructuring in the last five years. Yes, so it's a phenomenal amount of change that seems to be going on. What's prompting this? Well, I think one of the main drivers is HR functions really trying to um, operate more strategically. And one way they think they can do this is to look at their own internal structures. A lot of them have introduced the so-called Ulrich model, which includes business partners, centres of expertise, and some form of shared service. And I think through that combination, what they're hoping to do is the business partners give them the strategic element. The shared service can drive out sort of efficiencies and make them operate more cost effectively and in that way I think they think they can they can do more maybe for less money. Interesting but does this type of change apply to organisations of all sizes? I think there is a lot of change in all organisations but I think the move to actually introduce this Ulrich Um, type of change is possibly something that is much more focused or geared towards large organisations, which makes sense just because of the scale and the size of the HR function. Smaller organisations, I think, are changing their HR functions, but not necessarily towards this Ulrich model. You can find out more about the CIPD research in the notes that accompany this programme at cipd.co.uk slash podcasts. One organisation that's experienced a lot of change is the Department for Work and Pensions. They don't come much larger than the DWP, employer of over 100,000 people. I caught up with Kevin White, now Director General of Human Resources at the Home Office, but previously HR Director at the DWP. I asked him about the big changes he made to the HR function there. We started in the organisation as a whole in setting out a clear vision for how we wanted to develop Um, to talk about the new direction of the department, to talk about the creation of new agencies, to talk about our aspirations for improved customer service and for improving the underpinning uh, services that support and enable that. Um, Inside the HR function, actually following Jim Collins' advice, I started by getting some good people around me, um, which is always more reassuring than thinking you have to make it up yourself. Um, And we set... Uh, a very clear vision for how we wanted HR to be. Uh, We got change partners in to support us to drive that forward. We put in place uh, a huge programme of restructuring and service improvement, but it started with having the right people. For Kevin, recruitment clearly paid an important part in delivering the changes he wanted to see. Our research into the changing HR function found skills gaps are a particular challenge for many HR functions as they strive to play a more strategic role. I asked Kevin how this affected him. 
Yes, I wanted to ask you about whether you, you encounter skills gaps in implementing th- this strategy along the way. It sounds as if you did, if you had to recruit as you went. What we, we suffered from was kind of an attitude gap almost. Uh, the people we had in the, in the function were often very clever, very talented, very committed, worked hard. A lot of them CIPD qualified. Uh, you know, they weren't kind of dummies, if you like, by any stretch of the imagination. But what they hadn't done was to work in a context where HR is a slave cylinder to the business, if you like, and is actually um, so engaged in the the act of changing the way you go about and deliver your services, supporting line management, rather than a slightly more old-fashioned culture of kind of owning the rule book. They hadn't done that, uh, and we found it much easier to bring in people who had worked like that in an environment we wanted to create because our people learned much better by seeing what they could do rather than being told what they could do. So we had skills. We had HR skills. We had qualifications. What we didn't really have was an HR function that saw itself as the right kind of business partner, top to bottom. So far, we've heard about the influences that are driving HR to be more strategic, and we've had a taste of how it's responding to that challenge. Now we're going to look in more detail at others' approach to the changing HR function. Maureen Robson oversaw a major change in the HR function at Fujitsu. She shared her reflections with us. Certainly the the lessons learned that I picked up when I undertook a review um, were that um, the um, reduction in headcount was um, realised too quickly um, and there was a lot of loss of knowledge from the business and also in terms of actually building skill sets and training people and getting them skilled up in a customer services environment. Um, that we, 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 we had a lot of challenges around that, I believe, um, and it did take us about six to 12 months to iron those out. Nortel faced some similar challenges when they undertook a global project with a huge impact on HR. Their HR leader for Europe, Middle East and Africa, Sharon Ellica, talked us through the lessons learned to date and how those lessons are shaping the next steps. From the business case perspective, and as I said, I, I actually led the project globally and, um, and it was my job to make sure that we delivered um, on the business case and we kept those in mind as we progressed through the project. We have um, achieved those. Um, I think uh, where we still find we perhaps have um, some challenges is more around, I guess, cultural acceptance to a new way of working. And uh, I see that more in um, uh, certain parts of, of, of my region. Um, it seems to be the, the further east you go, I think culturally there is a, perhaps a, de- a demand and an expectation for a more high-touch, face-to-face kind of personal HR or contact, and we're not organised or structured um, to support that anymore. I think it's just getting people over time to become accustomed to a new way of working um, has perhaps taken longer than we maybe anticipated in certain geographies. So the big question, what would you do differently? Tell us about your mistakes. <laughs> oh, that multi-million dollar question. Um, I, uh, I guess hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, I mean, our project, um, it was global in nature. Um, our timelines were very aggressive. We did everything from beginning to end in 16 months. Uh, and because of the, the degree of, I guess, the technology side of the project, I mean, that was an aggressive timeline. Um, if we were to do things differently, um, I think one of the areas that um, uh, I, a couple of areas, I think within the context of the project, it would have been nice to do, have had more time to do some user acceptance tests of the solutions that we were deploying, particularly the self-service tools. Um, And then, I guess, post-deployment, 
it would have been nice, I think, as well for us to have, have had maybe the luxury of a little bit more time to transition the HR organisation so that we were able to help embed the change within the business. As we deployed new processes and new technology, we also radically reshaped and reorganised the way that we were structured within HR and uh, also saw a, a near 20% uh, global reduction in, in headcount. Um, and I think um, in, in hindsight, we'd have probably embedded the change more quickly if we hadn't been so aggressive in our own kind of uh, transformation organisationally um, and it probably meant that, that the overall transition took longer than it would have done if we'd have had uh, everybody in place to, to, to support the change. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. We've already heard from Kevin White about the challenges he faced plugging skills gaps when he was restructuring at the DWP. But what other obstacles did he face? Our workforce had to reduce by 30,000 from 130,000 to 100,000. So we had to manage the psychology of that. Uh, we had to work in partnership with our trade unions. We had very, very kind of powerful public sector trade unions. So there's, there's all sorts of significant uh, issues of that kind to address. We also had to, I think, work in an environment where, to characterise it, uh, line managers didn't really want to do HR and HR didn't really want line managers to do HR because they thought it was their job. So you've got a kind of vicious circle and we had to create a positive circle where line managers understood that the role of HR was to be at their shoulder, supporting them, advising them, providing expertise in all sorts of ways, not doing, doing that part of their role for them. And that's a huge uh, cultural uh, change which... You know, it still needs to be made, doesn't it, across many parts of the public sector and probably other sectors as well. Our research into the changing HR function picked up on this balance of responsibility between HR and line managers. I asked CIPD advisor Vanessa to tell us more about the impact this is having on HR. We seem to be hearing more and more about HR departments polarising into these two activities, that at one end you've got strategic people thinking about the business, the core business objectives of the organisation as a whole, and at the other end there's the day-to-day managing of people administrative matters. Are you seeing that more widely now, rather than the whole thing being in, in, in one melting pot together? I think you are seeing some interesting polarizations. That's one example where you've got yeah the people being more strategic and then the more general people management. But I think we're also seeing the people management activities more and more are actually being done by the line and not necessarily within the remit of people working necessarily in the HR function. And that gives some interesting new challenges. And I think that's why people are reorganising, or rather they're struggling when they're reorganising, um, is because actually it requires possibly new skills and capabilities for people in HR and also people in the line who are maybe having to take on people management activities that previously um, they didn't have responsibility for. Yeah, it's an interesting question where you draw that line, isn't it? About, you know, who, where does the responsibility for actually managing real people working the, the organisation lie? Is it in the HR team or is it the line manager? Different organisations really do do address this differently because in some organisations they very much don't um, think that their line managers have the capabilities and are happy for to have more people within HR, that model works for them, whereas in other organisations they do believe very strongly people management is what every manager should be doing. It's part of their management responsibility. Um, But I think as long as both HR and the line 
understand what each of their respective roles are, then they should be able to work effectively towards the ultimate goal of getting better business performance. But it's when tensions start to exist between the line and HR, or there's misunderstandings that possibly you don't start to get the best people management results effectively. Getting line managers to take on responsibility for managing people well is one side of the equation. But for Lloyd's TSB HR Director Stephen Smith, HR's direct role in delivering wider business objectives is at least as important. Yeah, and we also do have very strong views about how HR should fit into your business. Um, don't see it as an add-on, don't see it as a support service, see it very much as part of the business. How, how are you making that happen? Okay. Well, for me, the, the, the really critical thing is that um, HR isn't actually uh, a partner to something, it's a partner in something, uh, and that something is a business. So it's really, really, really important that, that I think that people understand that, that, that um, thinking commercially and demonstrating commercial competence is actually what gets them that desired seat at the table. It's not being a great HR practitioner. That's a, that's a kind of given. That's what, what, what the people in the business expect you to have. So how are you giving them that? How are you giving them that understanding of the business? Well, I think the, the, the key thing is actually to, to show people that, that there's nothing that difficult about it. So uh, what I've been doing is, is spending my training budget on things which have nothing to do with HR at all. I've been teaching people how to sell, how to prospect for leads, uh, how to network, uh, network commercially. Uh, I've been teaching them how to become creative and innovative and how to prospect for, for new business. And guess what? HR people can do it perfectly well. And do they do it? And, and they do do it. There are loads of great examples. I, I have HR people now who are bringing in new business for, for Lloyd's TSB, uh, not instead of doing their day jobs, but just as part of doing their day jobs. And it earns them a different kind of respect and a different kind of value uh, in the business that they're a partner in. Just going back to, to the way that you've been training your HR people into the business, uh, it's just occurred to me really to wonder, obviously traditionally we've seen people come out of businesses and into the HR function. Are you expecting some of your people perhaps to go the other way now? You might lose some of your HR people actually into the into core banking roles. Well, I really hope that happens. Um, uh, it, to me, um, HR as part of the kind of the, the overall executive career path is a really important statement of success. Um, at, at the moment, um, to say to HR people, acquire commercial skills and it'll stand you in good stead is one thing. But if I can't show them that people from other parts of the organisation see working in HR as a valuable piece of development, uh, and a valuable step on their career path, then I haven't done the whole job. I actually have people moving into HR from, from other, other parts of the business. Um, what I've got to do now is to show that, 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 that in time I can, can successfully help them move out. And I've already demonstrated HR people can do the selling bit. I've got the proof. <laughs> and how will you measure success when you've done it? Um, I think some of the, the key measures, though, for me will, will be that, that some of the great ideas and some of the great uh, innovations around a big organisation um, like this one will, will actually become evident and, and more widely used uh, across the whole business. And, and that, for me, will be the tick in the box. That'll be the, that'll be the sea change. An interesting perspective from Stephen there. And there's clearly a lot of change taking place in the shapes and roles of HR functions. We've heard from HR professionals who've been through such change processes and touched on some of the lessons they've learned. But what does the future hold? I asked Vanessa to summarise the pointers in the CIPD research. Well, I think certainly the, the level of change, my guess is anyway, is that it will stay pretty much at this high level for the coming years, mainly because these changes aren't actually quick fixes. And so just by the level of activity going on, this year or in the last year, I don't think those are probably all complete. I should think most of them are work in progress. Um, beyond that, um, 
my guess is the level of change restructuring is going to stay at quite high levels um, as organisations change themselves HR will continue to need to respond to change as well as to sort of lead it itself so yeah I don't see much much fall off. Whether it's responding to it or leading it, it seems fairly clear that change is going to play a continuing role in the lives of HR professionals, not least in shaping the structures and roles of the HR function itself. If you're grappling with any of the issues covered, then you can find out more in the notes that accompany this podcast at cipd.co.uk forward slash podcasts, including more details of the research Vanessa's been talking about. In our next programme, we'll be bringing you a New Year look at the trends and challenges likely to be having an impact in 2008, based on interviews with some of the biggest names in HR. Until then, goodbye. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.